Um, so if you're following 1126, 1126, and it's the rest of the chapter. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us an, an unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. <clears throat> but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apias and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. 
For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for reading. Please keep that passage open. Um, Once again, it's good to see you all this morning. Um, Before we come to God's word, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you because it is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you for how we've seen the way you've built your church throughout history. Thank you for seeing us through the book of Acts. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we, as we come to your word this morning, uh, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see Christ? And would you open the eyes, ears of our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning? And would you help me to speak clearly? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, please, we look up. On the 14th of May, 1962, a young man named Stephen said to his fellow gang members, I want everyone inside that tent to die. Stephen and his fellow gang members, they had set out to to petrol bomb a Christian evangelistic meeting taking place in a tent in a town just outside Harare. He said to his gang members, at 7 p.m., I'll blow my whistle and I want all of us to throw our petrol bombs and rocks inside the tent entrance. And so just before 7 p.m. comes, Stephen steps inside the tent to listen. And he begins to hear stories about a man named Jesus and how he's transformed people's lives. 7 p.m. comes, and he still hasn't blown his whistle. His friends are a bit confused, wondering what's going on. Then a guy inside the tent gets up and begins to preach from Romans and 2 Corinthians about the grace of God. Suddenly, Stephen realized what Christianity was all about. It was about a man named Jesus. And it wasn't just for old white suburban ladies. It was also for a poor black street kid like him. Still clutching these petrol bombs, Stephen stumbles forward to the front, crying, utterly broken. Stephen prayed that night, and he accepted the Lord Jesus into his life. And then he went back to sleep in his usual spot underneath the bridge as a homeless person, but as an entirely new person in the Lord Jesus. He went on to become an evangelist through all of Africa. He was known as the the Billy Graham of Africa. That's the man right there. His name is Stephen Lungu. You see, thank you, Sophie. The gospel spreads in unexpected ways, sometimes in unexpected circumstances, in unexpected hearts. In human eyes, the last person anyone would have expected to come to Christ that night was the very person intent on petrol bombing the Christian evangelistic meeting. In the early days of the church, the last person anyone might have expected to come to Christ was a man named Saul, the church's foremost persecutor. And yet, the Lord transformed him into the church's foremost evangelist and missionary. You see, the book of Acts has shown us how this came to be. Uh, Luke, the author of Acts, has been recording the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem now to Rome. And as we've seen so far, the gospel 
It's been spreading like wildfire, and no one has been able to stop it. So as we come to the end of our series in Acts, as we come to this passage, I think the first point for us to note is that nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel, even when conditions seem hard, even when the conditions seem impossible. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. See, we've come to the end of Acts, and it, and it kind of seems a bit anticlimactic, doesn't it? Paul the preacher, he's finally arrived in Rome after a perilous journey we just read in chapter 27. He's encountered shipwreck, near loss of life. Then we've pit-stopped in Malta, and he's encountered a, a venomous viper. And now he's arrived in Rome, but not triumphantly as a, as a preacher. No, he's arrived in Rome as Paul the prisoner. In verses 17 to 20, Paul has gathered the local Jewish leaders, and he's explaining to them why he's ended up in Rome. Verse 20, it says, For this reason I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. The hope of Israel, the hope that God will save his people by sending the Messiah who would rise from the dead and bring salvation to his people. Whilst the Jews were expecting a, a political salvation, the true Messiah was bringing a, a spiritual salvation. And Paul is saying, this Messiah that you've been hoping for, he's come. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who you've rejected. That's why I'm in chains. Because I want to tell you all about him. Strangely enough, even though Paul is in chains, people still want to hear what he has to say, don't they? Look at verse 22. Look at what it says. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that the people everywhere are talking against this sect. People everywhere, they're talking against this sect, this new way, this new religion called Christianity. We, we want to hear what you think it's all about. Never mind the chains. Tell us what you think. And so verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Even in chains, in unideal conditions, Paul is still able to proclaim the gospel. You see, Whenever persecution has come to the church, instead of quenching the fire of the gospel, it just seems to spread it. In the early days of the church, one of the things that was said to grow Christianity was the horrific physical persecutions, persecution Christians went through. One historian writes, it says, Nero, Emperor Nero, punished with the utmost refinement cruelty a class who are called Christians. Besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clad in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. Others set on fire to serve to illuminate the night when daylight failed. Horrific persecution of the early church. However, one of the things most church historians will notice is that over the centuries of persecution, faced by Christians, uh, the very thing that attracted non-believers was how persistent Christians were. 
in the face of suffering. People wanted to know what it was that enabled people to hold on to their faith, even when it cost them their lives. You know, like, like, like lavender, which releases its fragrance when it's crushed. So it is with the Christian and the church. When we're hard-pressed on every side, when we're crushed, it is in these moments that we begin to release the fragrance of Christ in our lives to the world around us as we act as a witness to the Lord Jesus. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel, not even persecution or prison. Secondly, nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. Well, why? Well, because there are more people yet to join God's kingdom. You see, after Paul has witnessed to the Jewish leaders about Jesus as the hope of Israel, verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others, well, they would not believe. See, that, that's what Acts has been all about, how the Lord Jesus has been growing his kingdom. As people hear the kingdom of God proclaimed, as the repentance for the forgiveness of sins is preached, some will hear and believe, and others won't. Uh, the Bible tells us that one of the reasons why Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he's patiently waiting for more people to come to repentance, to hear the gospel, and to respond and become part of his kingdom. I guess that's why Jesus didn't come back yesterday or last week, or, or last year, or however far back you want to go. He, he didn't come back because he was waiting for, for me, for you, to hear the gospel and respond. He was patiently waiting. You see, nothing can stop the spread of the gospel until the Lord Jesus has finished building his kingdom. And as far as we're concerned, he's certainly not done yet. Brothers and sisters, I wonder how this makes us feel this morning, this passage. Though Paul was in chains, the gospel wasn't in chains. You see, Paul recognized that ultimately he wasn't a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He wasn't at the mercy of his accusers. No, wonderfully, Paul recognized that he was a prisoner of the Lord. He says that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. And chains or no chains, the gospel was going to go out. Nothing's going to stop it. It's often the case that at points in our lives, uh, we might feel imprisoned by life, life circumstances, uh, whether it's our work, our relationship, our stage of life. We just feel overwhelmed and trapped. And hence our ability to share the gospel feels trapped, imprisoned. It might just be a feeling of I'm too young to speak up. Maybe when I grow older, I'll be more confident and know more and be able to speak more clearly about the gospel. It might just be the stage of family life. It's all too busy now. When, when the situation changes, maybe we'll have a, a clearer head to speak about the gospel. Or maybe it's just work. It's really full on at the moment. When things slow down, then I'll have more time. You see, these are genuine concerns, and I don't want to minimize them at all. And yet, there'll, there'll be some of us here this morning who might be going well in the area of evangelism. Let me encourage you to keep going in the Lord's strength. Yet, 
And yet I suspect that some of us here this morning might feel the opposite. You see, our, our evangelism often seems non-existent. I think of the story of a Christian lady who spends most of her waking hours caring for an elderly relative with Alzheimer's. She's had one clear opportunity to share the gospel in the past nine months. She didn't think she did well on that occasion. She kind of fluffed her lines, didn't say the right words. Isn't it an encouragement for her to know that the Lord knows her situation? I'd want to say to her, keep going, faithful sister, keep going. You see, the Lord knew the situation he put Paul in. And he knows the situation he's put each and every one of us in. And yet, he desires to use us to build his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, I think it's an encouragement to our evangelism, isn't it? To keep faithfully working under God's guiding hand to spread the gospel in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in life. Nothing is going to stop the spread of the gospel because God's not yet done building his kingdom. Which, which brings us on to our second point. Nothing, if nothing can stop the spread of the gospel, then I guess Christians are to keep faithfully speaking boldly for Christ. If nothing can stop the spread of the gospel, Christians are to keep faithfully speaking for Christ. Look at verse 31 with me. It says, He, Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. If Christians are to speak boldly for Christ, then firstly, it's important that we speak. It's important that Christians speak the gospel. The book of Acts is full of Christian speaking, isn't it? In the first few chapters, we, we see Paul, uh, Peter speaking quite a bit. And then in chapter 7, we see uh, Stephen's lengthy sermon. And the Apostle Paul himself, he loves a good sermon, doesn't he? In Acts chapter 20, I don't know if you remember... Paul speaks for so long that a young man named Eutychus falls asleep and falls out the window. And now he's back at it again in verse 23. It says, He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. I don't know what you think, but it sounds like a really long Bible study, doesn't it? I sort of wonder how, how many people the Apostle Paul put to sleep in his ministry. Probably a few, I guess. A while back, I came across a T-shirt which, which said something like this. It said, don't say the, the sermon, be the sermon. Yeah, don't say the sermon, be the sermon. You can sort of see what they're getting at. As children of God, people who have been transformed by the grace of God, we want to live lives that bring, bring glory to him, not being conformed to the pattern of this world. And yet... Christians are to accompany their godly lives with speaking the gospel. Not just to each other on the Sundays, but out there in the world. Not only speaking the gospel, but we're to do so boldly. Christians are to speak the gospel boldly. This word bold or boldly is used quite a bit in the book of Acts, isn't it? In fact, over, well, 50% of its use in the New Testament occurs solely in Acts alone. We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
See, if, if anything that we've seen in the book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit that's played a leading role in empowering the church, followers of Jesus, for the mission of spreading the gospel, enabling Christians to speak boldly for the Lord Jesus. I think it's important to note that spiritual boldness isn't just the, the opposite of being shy. Spiritual boldness doesn't just mean we, we, we ride roughshod over people's feelings without any consideration. Rather, speaking boldly for the Lord Jesus, it, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It enables us to speak with deep conviction gospel truths in love, even when it's to our disadvantage. You see, when God's people speak boldly for Christ, whether we like it or not, the gospel will spread without hindrance. And it won't be based on how, how clever we are or how sophisticated we are with our words. Rather, those who respond will only do so because the Lord himself has called them by his Holy Spirit. For some of us here this morning, it might be the area of speaking that we struggle with. We just don't feel confident enough. Maybe it's just that we're still getting our heads around the basic shape of the gospel and what it means for our lives. And we're still figuring out how we might share it with others. Let me encourage you to keep asking the Lord to grow you in wisdom and understanding in terms of what he's done for you in the Lord Jesus. I keep reading scripture, keep praying, meditating on his word. And as simple as it sounds, keep coming to church. Maybe think about your testimony. Think about what difference the Lord Jesus has made in your life and how you might share that with someone. Why not practice with a fellow brother or sister, for starters? And it may be here that, well, you're here this morning and you feel a bit too young for all of this. I'm only in college or school. How could the Lord possibly use me? Well, let me tell you this. A Christian organization a few years back did a survey and they found out that 75% of Christians in the UK became Christians before they turned 18. Three quarters of people who came to faith in the UK became Christians before they turned 18. Now, that's not to, to put any pressure on you youngsters, no. It's more so to encourage our church leaders to invest in youth work and, and all that kind of stuff. But no, no, it's to encourage you not to underestimate or undermine how the Lord can use you in his kingdom. Why not speak to an older Christian or a youth worker and ask them how they might walk alongside you in this area of what it looks like to wisely and lovingly share the gospel with a non-Christian friend? The Holy Spirit often works in unexpected ways, in unexpected hearts. And you know what? He never gets it wrong. We've seen this in the book of Acts. He never gets it wrong. Who would have thought Paul would have come to represent the Christian faith so boldly and prodigiously? Who would have thought Stephen Lungu, the leader of a notorious gang, would have come to faith on the very same night he was seeking to destroy it? Uh, let me tell you the story of a time when two Christians prayed faithfully. You see, 
30 years later, while Stephen was sharing his testimony, Stephen Lungu, in a small neighborhood just outside Durban, he saw two really, really old ladies fidgeting furiously and pointing towards each other and pointing towards Stephen. Eventually, one of the ladies got up and started walking towards Stephen at the front, and she pointed at him and saying, you, you, the Lord gave you to us. And he's a bit confused at this point, trying to get her to sit back down. And then she says, you just said to us that you were the leader of a gang on the 14th of May, 1962, and you were intending to petrol bomb this meeting. And he says to her, look, sister, if you just sit down, I'll tell you what happened next. And then she bellows at him. She says, we know what happened next. Look at this in my Bible. And then she pointed shakily to the page at the back. And there was some handwriting, faded and hard to read. It began with a date, 14 May 1962. And beside the date was written a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, will you save one gang leader tonight? But I never saw you that night, Stephen stammered. I don't remember you. Well, of course not. We weren't there. We were housewives in Durban, a different country. But we knew about the missions meeting outside Harare, and so we prayed. We asked God for a gang leader. But until tonight, we never knew how God had answered that prayer. It's often the case that most of us, or a lot of us, won't see the fruit of our labors in our evangelism, in the prayers that we faithfully pray year after year for, for, Christ, for, for non-Christian friends or family, in the words that we speak, most of us, or a lot of us, won't see the fruits of our labours. That's often the case in evangelism. And yet, through it all, isn't it wonderful that we can know for certain that God's sovereign plan will always come to pass? God is still building his kingdom. The work he, he began in Acts continues today through people like you and me. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the early Christians and the early church lives in us today, empowering us to speak for Christ boldly. You see, people speculate about what happened to Paul after he's been in prison. I don't know. But one thing I do know for certain is that the gospel continues to spread. That's why we're here today, this morning. You see, Whenever we find us, wherever we find ourselves in our lives, isn't it an encouragement to know that it is God who, who graciously uses us to build his kingdom? It is God's work, and yet he graciously involves us in this wonderful work. Isn't it an encouragement to us this morning? I don't know about you, but it is to me. Let me give you a moment of silence uh, to think about what the Lord might have laid on your heart this morning, and then I'll pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for seeing us through this series uh, in Acts. Uh, thank you for that great work you began 2,000 years ago. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and his spirit that lives in us, empowering us to speak boldly for the, for the Lord Jesus, to spread his gospel. 
Thank you, Lord, because we don't have to rely on our own efforts or knowledge or, or abilities. Rather, we can rely on your Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, shaping us to be more like Christ and to speak boldly for him wherever we find ourselves. Uh, Heavenly Father, would you, would you help us to be shaped by this passage, to be emboldened, uh, to live lives pleasing to you, but also to, to seek to know Christ and make him known to the world around us. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.